Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris. For those of you who are new, I saw there are quite a few new folks here this morning. And I want to say something before we get to the message. Last night, we had the opportunity to license Mark Lutz, who's our our, uh, director of student ministries, as an ordained gospel or as a licensed gospel minister here at New Life. And for those of you who are guests, that might not mean anything. But for those of you who come all the time, it's a really important thing. Here at New Life, uh, 14 and a half years ago when Nancy and I started New Life, we uh, had a mission that we thought was from God, sharing the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And when we do that, what happens is people respond. And so people who are lost get found, according to a scriptural way of looking at it. People who are destined for hell get to go to heaven one day. But right now what happens is that person becomes a disciple. And and disciples are supposed to grow. And and the reason I wrote the book, Life Cycle of a Christian, is because I wanted to help people to do that. And even on staff, we want to see movement, growth from one place to the next. And uh, Mark Lutz is really a demonstration of that. He came at the age of 21, right out of college, uh, as our part-time youth director. And we told him it was going to come to full-time, we hoped, if, if the youth group grew And there were about six to ten kids on average when Mark came five years ago. And every week there are more than a hundred kids coming now. And we have uh, two full-time youth directors as a result of that. And uh, that's all, all those numbers are nice. But 48 uh, students and leaders have been baptized in the youth ministry just this, well, just this summer, really. I think that's pretty amazing. So... So what's the difference now that Mark's a licensed gospel minister? Well, technically, the only real difference is he's allowed to do marriages now, and he wasn't before. And we'll probably call him Mark like we always have, but he could be called Pastor Mark if we wanted to do that. Um, But it's a symbol of his growth, and uh, we wanted to make it clear to Mark that we are proud of him. And I'm actually proud of all of our staff. We have an amazing staff here at New Life. And as the lead pastor and the founding pastor of New Life, I get to work with amazing people. Those of you who are here, sitting here, that I know, you know, who have been with us since the beginning. And some of you have been coming along really pretty much every week since then. And the staff in particular, they're committed to Jesus Christ and to their own personal growth. And and I think even more importantly, to glorifying God and to seeing as many people as possible come to know him and grow up into maturity as Jesus. So I wanted to say that because you all didn't get to experience that, um, that service last night. And, and so I just wanted, if you see Mark, and I, I don't know if he's here at this gathering, but I know he's going to be at the second one. So maybe if you stick around, you can just you know, give him a hug and say, good job. So this morning, though, we're going to talk about prayer. And one of the probably... Uh, well, it's one of the shortest verses in the Bible, but one of the most challenging is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And it says this in the Living Translation, never stop praying. Never stop praying. In the King James, it says, pray without ceasing. Well, however we translate it, how do you do that? How do you wake up in the morning and start praying and never stop praying until you go to bed at night? And, and, and actually, do you want to do that? Do you really want to have a day where every minute you are in conversation with God from start to finish. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The Apostle Paul wrote those words to the Thessalonian church. 
And he also wrote a whole bunch of words to the Colossian church. And that's what we've been looking at this summer. We've worked our way from Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, to today where we're in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. We're working our way through the whole, um, the whole book of Colossians. And the series has been titled, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because when you look at Colossians, the first two chapters tell us that Jesus is God. Jesus is the living God who came in the flesh so that we could have, have forgiveness of our sins... And so that we could have life eternal that starts here and continues into heaven with him forever. And then the last two chapters sort of tell us how we can live out our faith once we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and God in our lives. How can we live out our faith on a daily basis so that we become more and more like him? And so today we're going to talk about prayer. Now for those of you who are with us for the very first time, I simply want to let you know that we have uh, basically uh, only a couple of things that we try to accomplish every Sunday at this time. We have a take-home point, which I'm going to share with you in a moment. And the take-home point is the one point we want you to hear, and me, to hear and understand and live out in the week ahead. And then we have a commitment at the end, which challenges us to move forward and to apply what we've learned. Because what we've learned over the years is that information minus application is just information. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't change us. But when we apply it, information plus application equals transformation. When we apply what we learn from the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes us. It transforms us to be more like Jesus. So, as I said, there is a take-home point, and here today is, is this. Prayer involves alert minds and thankful hearts. Prayer involves alert minds and thankful hearts. We see three quick things. If we want to have a life centered in Jesus, a life where we're praying all the time and where we have this communication going on with God all the time, first we have to have, to have prayer. Secondly, we need to do it with alert minds. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then with thankful hearts. So those are the three aspects of prayer that are going to make us uh, have a focus on Jesus, not just like in the first couple of minutes of the day, but all throughout the day. So, Prayer is communicating with God. Some people think it's a one-way street. You know, we talk to God and he never talks back. But nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact, Henry Blackaby in his book Experiencing God said that God communicates with us four specific ways. And uh, he speaks with us uh, through, number one, his written word, the Bible. Here at New Life, this is the book that's the standard for our lives. This is what we use to every single day, not just every single Saturday night and Sunday morning when we're preaching. But every single day, we use this to guide us because we know this is God speaking to us. And for example, we might ask the question, how do you pray without ceasing? And we turn to his, his word, and he tells us. In fact, he's going to give us some good clues on that today from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. The second way God communicates with us is through prayer. Prayer is when we talk to God. That's what many people think, and that's pretty much it. But prayer is also God speaking back to us. He communicates directly to us in one of three ways. And in fact, if you see this picture up here, if you've been coming for a few weeks, you know that this is a human being. Human beings are made up of a body, the physical part which you can see, the soul which is uh, not being able to see, and that's our mind and our emotions and our will, and then the spirit. And the spirit is dormant in a human being's life until one of two things happens. An evil spirit comes in and inhabits the person and takes over. Or the Holy Spirit comes in when we're born again, when we trust Jesus, our Savior and Lord, and also takes over, uh, but in a different kind of way. Because the, the, the demonic spirits take over and control us. But the Holy Spirit comes in and we still have control of our mind, of our emotions, of our will. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't coerce us. 
as evil spirits do. Always we have freedom when we're followers of Jesus. But in any case, the spirit, the Bible we're told in Hebrews 4.12 is, is sharper than any two-edged sword. And as we learn it, as we're following Jesus, it divides our soul from our spirit. And, and we start to have this way for God to communicate directly. So God speaks to our spirits directly. God sometimes in prayer, in answer to a prayer, he speaks to our minds. He, he tells us something and we, it's just like a thought in our head. And we go, oh, okay. And we realize it's from God. And then occasionally, God speaks through our bodies. He speaks audibly. And we can actually hear him speak. In my entire life, I've only heard that one time. I've heard a lot in my soul and more and more in my spirit day by day. But as we grow as followers of Jesus, that's a way that God communicates with us. And then thirdly, God communicates through our circumstances. Let's say you came to worship today and you're wondering, what does God really want me to do? What is there some way that I can serve in the church of Jesus Christ to use the gifts and abilities and interests that I have? And say Pastor Mark would come up here and he would say, you know, we need five men to work in the, in the middle school ministry this fall because it, the, the, that's the one area where we're just sort of struggling to get adults. Um, the middle school ministry, and that's a, that's a very interesting ministry. Let me just put it that way. I started out as a youth pastor, you know. And, and so anyway, and you're sitting there and you're going, well, I like kids. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that age group. And I've been wondering how God could use me. And there's the circumstance. There's a need. There actually is a need for a couple of adult males uh, in the middle school group. Um, and there you have it. And so the circumstance provides the opportunity. And you step into the opportunity. And what happens when you do that is you find out very quickly if that was really God's call in your life or it just was a circumstance and you answered it. And, okay, I'll try something different. And then the last way God speaks to us is the most dangerous he speaks to us through other Christians. And the reason I say it's the most dangerous is because other Christians realize that if they want something and they come up to you and say, God told me, Kristen, that you're supposed to do X. It's pretty hard for you to, you know, say, whoa, I can't not do that because God told me, right? Well, people have done that to me over the years. I've been a pastor 31 years and all the time people have these ideas. They come up to me and they say, hey, Pastor Chris, God told me that you're supposed to do X or we're supposed to do Y or we're supposed to do Z. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes when the people have said that either, um, you know, personally right to my face or maybe I've heard a message even online and I hear it and I go, whoa, that's God speaking. But other times it's pretty easy to tell. It's pretty easy to tell when somebody wants something and they're just using the God card and whenever God is actually speaking through the other person. Because you know how it's easy to tell? Because when that person tells you something, is it line up with the word of God? Because God will never tell us to do anything that doesn't line up with his word. Is it something that's confirmed in your spirit, in your soul, even in your body? Because if, it, like for instance, if, if somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor Chris, God told me that you're supposed to run a marathon this afternoon. <laughs> no, I don't think he did. Because I'll die. Um, now, if he said, God told me you're supposed to run a marathon in 20 weeks, Maybe. Because in 20 weeks, I could be ready to run a marathon. I know that because I've already done it. So you see what I'm talking about. God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us through prayer. God speaks to us through circumstances. And sometimes God speaks to us through each other. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 4. And some of you have these workbooks still. We're going to be on page 28 today. And uh, if you don't have a workbook, it's okay because it will be up on the screen. Or you might have your own Bible. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. And we're going to work our way through this passage, which is going to help us understand how we can never stop praying, pray without ceasing. And it seems like it would be a good idea for us to pray before we turn to that word. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you so much that you do communicate to us directly. We thank you that it isn't just us speaking to the, the sky, but you're there. And you're not only out there, but you're in us by your Holy Spirit for those of us who have trusted you as Savior and Lord. And today, as we turn to Colossians 4, 2 to 6, we pray that you would open our spirits, our minds, even our bodies to hear your word and then to apply it this week so that we can indeed pray without ceasing and so that we can be more the people who pray with alert minds and thankful hearts. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Colossians 4 verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Well, I guess you see where we got the take-home point for this week, huh? It's a direct quote from Colossians 4 verse 2. And what I hope you understand is that every single week our take-home point comes directly from the Word of God. Because we believe that every single week God wants us to become more and more like Jesus. Actually, every day. God wants us to become more and more like Jesus. And the only way we can do that is by reading his word, coming to understand it, and then applying it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that will only happen. It will only happen that we'll become more and more like Jesus if we know his word, if we, if we actually devote ourselves to prayer, and then as we live that out in our everyday lives. That word devote is a very strong word. Devotion is commitment or consecration to a person, a being, a cause, or an activity. And devotion, as Paul is using it, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Well, I think some of us, we might need another a, 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 a example of what devotion is. I know that some of you in the room um, are devoted to the Pittsburgh Pirates. In fact, like six of you came in and said, what did we do last night? We won in the 14th inning, 5-3. to three. Melanson got another save. Okay, so some, I'm not saying I'm not devoted to the Pirates a little bit, all right. But some of you are devoted to the Pirates or the Steelers or the Penguins, right? Some of you are devoted to your families. I hope we're all devoted to our families, committed and consecrated to them, right? Some folks are just absolutely devoted to their work. In fact, if you're so devoted to your work that nothing else matters, we call that kind of a devotion workaholism, and workaholics become the president of the company. They become, you know, the, the biggest producer, the, the highest earner. And the question is, though, can you devote yourself to all of these things and still devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and thankful hearts? And the answer is no. Jesus told us, no one can serve two masters. You're going to be loving one and hating the other, and you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. And, and the truth of the matter is, we have to choose who's going to be our master. And last week we talked about that, didn't we? We said that if we're a worker or a student, you know, our master isn't really the teacher or the boss. Our real master is Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus. And some of you came in this morning and said, hey, my boss did a good job this week, got me a lot of work. You know, the boss being Jesus. Now, if we devote ourselves to prayer, does that mean we'll quit working? Of course not. In fact, you can actually devote yourselves to prayer as you work. That's what, that's what it means to pray without ceasing. It, it's what it means to never stop praying. You go to work and maybe you're, you don't have any energy that day. So you just say, God, fill me up with your Holy Spirit so I'll have the ability just to work today. Maybe you pray, God, help me to focus on what my task is today. God, give me the strength to do the best job that I can do so I can glorify you in my work today. If you keep talking like that all day through the day, I guarantee you your earthly boss is going to be very happy. And But more importantly, your heavenly boss is too. And so that's one of the ways that we give ourselves to prayer without ceasing. 
Now, the, the thing that Paul said next was, devote ourselves to prayer with alert minds. Alert minds. Now, what I've experienced since I was a teenager, I accepted Jesus when I was 12 and when I was in, you know, middle, what we would call middle school today, high school. One of the things I noticed about Christians is they really didn't want to have alert minds. They wanted to have deep emotions. They wanted to feel good when they were in worship and they wanted to feel good when they're serving Jesus, but they really didn't want to engage their mind. I mean, they were engaging their minds at work. They were engaging their minds at school. They were even engaging their minds at play. I mean, when I was in high school, I was on the football team, I had to learn a playbook that was like that thick. And I had to know when the coach called the certain play that I was supposed to go to a certain place, hand the ball off to a certain guy if I was the quarterback, or run a certain route if I was the receiver. And I actually learned all the plays because I thought it would be good to have an alert mind if I was going to be on the football team. And then when the coach said, Marshall, do you know where fullback plays? Yes, I do, sir. Okay, go in because that guy just got hurt. You see... If I devote myself that way to, to a sport, surely my mind ought to be that alert whenever I'm, you know, worshiping God, when I'm serving God, when I'm praying. Paul says, devote ourselves to prayer with alert minds. And in fact, I skipped over a statement that Charles Swindoll made a long time ago about what devotion really means here in America. He said it this way, here in America, we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. Now, that will only be true if we forget who is really our boss. If we know that Jesus Christ is our boss, then we will worship him. And so then we won't play at our worship. And we won't worship our work and we won't work at our play. But when we get those things out of order, then Charles Swindoll's right. That's what happens in our lives. One of the things I said last night, and it's not in my message, but I've done a lot of study of the human brain. And one of the things I know is the human brain, the average human brain, can process information at 450 words per minute. 450 words per minute. And I only speak, even though I speak fairly fast, at about 120, 25 words per minute. Which means that two-thirds of the time, your brain can be thinking about something else. Which means that you're thinking about, what am I going to have for lunch? Are the pirates on at 110 or 130? Am I going to take a nap today? What's going on at work this week? Oh, you know, I, I'm having trouble with my cousin and you can think of all those things, and you can still pretty much listen to almost everything I say. So when you sort of, you know, you're writing your little notes, and I don't know if you're writing your grocery list or if you're writing down a note about something I just said, I don't get that concerned. Because I know God gave us brains that are incredible. And so if you really care to hear what's being said and, and really bring it into your mind, even if you're distracted two-thirds of the time, you're still going to get it. And imagine if you focus 100% of your concentration, it'll be like triple, you know, triple duty. And you'll go out with even more than uh, most people do. Because not, nobody can stay 100% focused for very long on anything. Because there's all these outside forces that are working on. So let's move on. So Paul continues. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Paul, as we know from our summer, we, this is the third, or 12th week of a 14-week series, we know that Paul never had been to Colossae. He, had never, he didn't start the church at Colossae, but he had written to them because his friend Epaphras wanted him to address the heresy of Gnosticism that was going on sort of in the city there. And, and so Paul had written this letter to a group of people he didn't know. The interesting thing is he says, even though I don't know you, would you pray for me? Now, if I were in prison and I wrote a letter to a group of people that I didn't know, I might say, please pray that I get out of jail. 
I mean, doesn't that seem like a practical thing to ask? Paul didn't ask for that. What Paul asked for is that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Now, one of the things that I use my mind to do every week is to simplify things. That statement, I guess you could understand that statement if you tried really hard. But how about this? God, pray that God will open doors that we can talk about Jesus. Pray that God will open doors so we can talk about Jesus. That's what he's saying there. And, and so think about this. If you're going to pray without ce- ceasing, if you're never going to stop praying, let's say you go to lunch today. And you're going to have, if you go to a, you know, a restaurant other than McDonald's, you're going to have a server. And the server will come and you could say, God, open a door. Open a door. And that door might simply be to say you're doing a good job. Or that door might actually lead to you talking about Jesus with that person. I've had talk conversations about Jesus with the unlikeliest people because I'm always praying for God to open a door. And so that's another way. Any person could be a relative. We're going to a family thing tonight at 5, a birthday party for a cousin. I bet you there will be opportunities for doors to be open if we're ready. You know, I don't know what you're doing today. But whatever you're doing, if there's another person around, and if you know them and you know they don't know Jesus, then pray God open a door. If you don't know them and so you don't know, then pray for God to open a door. That's all that Paul is saying there. A week ago on Friday, Bun Thorne, who's a Cambodian student that's living with Nancy and me right now for a couple of months, went to the pirate game. It was the one where we beat the Dodgers in 10 innings. And in the ninth inning, I got a text from my sister-in-law, Cheryl, my brother Tom's wife. They live in Ohio. And, and here's what she wrote in her text. It says, Chris, are you at the game? Going to do some heavy praying. I texted back. I am at the game. I never pray about a baseball game. Save them for important things. She texted back. I thought baseball was one of your main concerns in your free time. I texted back. I love baseball, but it's just a game. You see, I never, if a child comes to me and says, Pastor Chris, will you pray that I win my soccer game today? I will pray for that. If a child comes to me and says, Pastor Chris, will you pray that my cat gets over being sick? I will pray for that. But if you're 58 years old and you're praying for the pirates to win, you need to grow up. Okay? Because you need to be praying for open doors. So do I. That's what I mean. I need to be praying at a pirate game. Does the guy next to me know Jesus? Because if it's the only chance I'm ever going to get. And so, and he's going to sit there for nine innings, maybe 10, maybe 14 with the pirates. You never know. So I'm going to have three and a half hours to talk to somebody next to me, and I can talk about, you know, Andrew McCutcheon's slugging percentage, which is pretty good, um, but I'd rather talk to him about Jesus. So, all right, let's move on. Paul asks one more thing. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. What a powerful prayer. Let's pray that God will give us clarity so that when we speak to somebody, they will understand what the message is. Because if you don't know the message, you can't understand it. If it's not clear, you won't be able to know that there's a God who created everything that we can see. And this is an amazing, astonishing message, really. This God who created everything we can see created us in his image. And when we rejected him, and actually when we spit in his face, literally... In the man Jesus Christ, he loved us anyway. And he died for us anyway. And he rose for us anyway. And he went to heaven for us anyway. And he sent his Holy Spirit for us anyway so that our spirits can be divided from our souls and so that we can live a life that's truly life. And Paul said, pray that I will have clarity when I share that message. And, you know, Paul had a few distractions. He was in jail and they were thinking about putting him to death. I'd say that's a distraction. So he wanted to have clarity whenever the guy brought his, you know, 
crust of bread that he would not worry about whether he was going to get out of jail, but whether that guy knew Jesus. Give me clarity that when the door opens, I'll be able to speak the message clearly. Paul closes this section with a couple of comments that really don't seem to be about prayer. They actually talk about living wisely, but if he told us to pray with an alert mind, then living wisely would sort of be related. And plus, remember, for Paul, there's no separation between living and praying because he's praying without ceasing. And so he's telling us a couple more things that really don't seem to be about prayer, but they will impact our prayer life. He says this, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. So what does it mean to live wisely among non-believers and to make the most of every opportunity? Well, it means a lot of things, but it leans, I'm just going to share one this morning. What it means for us to live wisely with those who are not believers is to understand that non-believers get to act like non-believers. If you're not a believer and you get drunk every Friday night, that makes sense because you're not a believer. If you're not a believer and your life is not following Jesus, that makes sense because you're not a believer. And one of the things that happens after we come to be believers, we trust in Jesus, we get born again, we start to grow up in the Lord, and we can forget we weren't believers either at one point. And so we start to condemn the non-believers for what they do and the way they look and how they live. And here's a question I would have for you. Who wants to hear about a Jesus who loves us unconditionally if the message is coming from someone who doesn't seem to like us very much and might even hate us. I don't think there's anything, there's only two, there's two things I think that really in this culture in America where we live today, two things that are making it so hard for people that aren't believers to become believers. One is believers are condemning everybody that isn't one. And two, those who are believers don't act like believers. You know, once we become believers, we, we ought to start living like believers. We ought to start having a little bit of difference because the Holy Spirit is dividing our soul from our spirit. And so we start to change the behaviors. And I should say the Holy Spirit starts to change the behaviors when we give control of those behaviors over to him. So when there's this difference that we love everybody unconditionally, like Jesus did, who isn't a believer, and then we start to live like Jesus once we become believers, people you would think would be attracted to Jesus like metal filings to a magnet, right? But people aren't. In fact, there's more unbelievers in America, percentage-wise, today than in the history of America. Why don't people want to follow Jesus who aren't already following him? I think Paul gives us some answers to that question with this last statement. He says, let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Now, that's a great translation, but I like the NIV better. It says this, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Too often, non-believers don't want to become followers of Jesus because our conversations aren't seasoned with grace. They aren't seasoned with salt, which simply means that we aren't preserving and bringing zest and vitality to life. People don't want to be around somebody who got saved and then just doesn't, you know, I mean, how's the old saying? I think it was Billy Sunday said, you know, most Christians look like they were weaned on a pickle. You know what I mean? Um, that's not the ba basic way to influence people's lives, right? So, I've had many conversations over the years with non-believers. The first thing I do is find out what kind of non-believer. Are you an atheist? Are you an agnostic? Are you a Buddhist? Are you a Muslim? Do you just don't care about religion? You never gave it any thought. Because how you think determines what you will respond to when we have a conversation. If you're a Buddhist, you think about the afterlife far differently than if you're an atheist, for example. 
And so how can I talk to a Buddhist and an atheist the same way? I can't. Well, if I'm devoting myself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart, I wouldn't do that. And so we want to make sure that when we're talking with people who don't yet know Jesus, that we know what their deal is. We want to know about them more than we want to know them to know what we have to tell them. You see, some believers disagree with me. They think you should just walk up to somebody who's not a believer and just say, you know, Josh, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to burn in hell forever. If you don't change your life right now, you're going to burn in hell forever. Now, that statement's true. But I don't think that approach works very well. And more importantly than what I think, I've read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that record the life of Jesus hundreds of times. Jesus never acts that way towards sinners. He only acts that way towards religious people. If you read all four Gospels, you will never hear Jesus with a pointing finger voice condemning a sinner. You will only hear him do that with religious people. In fact, here's what Jesus did with sinners. Jesus, this woman, is caught in the act of adultery and and brought to Jesus. and, And they want Jesus to put her to death because that's what the Mosaic Law said to do. And Jesus looks around and says, okay, go ahead and kill her. But, but let the one who didn't ever sin yourself, you throw the first stone. Pretty soon, the only one left is the woman. Jesus looks at the woman. He says, I don't condemn you either. Then he said something very important. Go and sin no more. You see, when I say we shouldn't condemn people that aren't believers, that doesn't mean we agree with them. That doesn't mean we condone their activity. It means that we say, hey, I know what it's like to be a sinner. And now I'm saved. And, and that's, a, that's a different approach than the Pharisees had. So anyway, there's this other guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Everybody in the Jewish world hated tax collectors because, number one, they worked for the Romans. Number two, they cheated people out of their money. And number three, they were mostly liars. So this guy named Zacchaeus, he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus says to Zacchaeus, hey, let's go to lunch. Actually, you take me to lunch. You're buying. So Zacchaeus goes home and takes you know, Jesus in, and they sit down, and after a while, Zacchaeus has changed. And Zacchaeus promises that he's going to pay off the people that he cheated, and he's going to give half his money to the poor. And Jesus says, hey, salvation came to this house today. And then Jesus comes to this tax collector named Matthew, and he says, how about being one of my disciples? And Matthew goes, okay. What did Matthew do? He didn't even change yet. He changed after, but he didn't change to get to be a disciple. He got to be a disciple because Jesus said, hey, I'm choosing you today. Then the last last sinner I want to tell you about is this sinner named Chris, who tried to shoot his mother when he was five years old. And he was an arrogant ass, if you want to just say the word. You know, for the time he was like five until he was about 18. And yet God called him and, and let him become a preacher. He's preaching to you this morning. You see, when we let God work in our lives, it's amazing what he will do. And he will do it to everybody. God wants sinners because that's all there are. Imagine being Jesus. It must have been really hard to be Jesus because he was perfect. He was the only perfect one, and everybody he looked at was imperfect. And so he ate with sinners, and he drank with sinners, and he cried with sinners, and he laughed with sinners. And then he went to the cross and died for sinners. And then he rose from the dead. Ooh, that's the part that always gets me. I mean, it was great that he died for me, but he rose from the dead. So that means that when he tells me he can forgive my sins, he's telling the truth. And it means when he says, I can have a different life, I can have a different life. He tells you that it's the truth. 
And so I know there are people out there in this community who think that if you're honest with people and if you're, if you're a good Christian, that they won't like you because you've got to be hard on them. You've got you to make them feel miserable. And the truth is, you already do feel miserable if you're a sinner. I did when I was a sinner, and I feel miserable when I sin now because I'm not perfect yet. Like I always say, no T at the end of my name. And so we already know that we're feeling miserable. We don't need somebody to point it out to us. What we need is somebody who will love us and tell us the truth. Because when somebody tells us the truth out of love, it makes a bigger impact. And so some people think that their church is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller if they're faithful. Here's what I think. I think if we're faithful to say anybody in the community is welcome to come to New Life. I don't care. As long as you're breathing, we want you to come. If you're not breathing, not so much. Just stay where you are. Okay. But... If you're breathing, we want you to come to church here, and we want you to be our friend. Until the day comes when you realize that salvation is in no one else in the name of Jesus Christ, and that when salvation comes to your life, you get a new life. And the God that we spit in his face still loves us, and he's going to make us new people. And when that happens, then one day you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you stop being my friend, and you start being my brother or sister. And when that happens, woo-wee, you know, then we can go out and we can share the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And that's all we've been doing for 14 and a half years here at New Life. That's all we're going to keep on doing until Jesus comes back or until we, you know, can't come to church anymore because we're not breathing anymore. Right? I hope somebody would say right to that. <laughs> okay. So here's the, t- here's the commitment today. I will pray expectantly and live wisely this week. I will pray expectantly and live wisely this week. So what does that mean? It means that when I wake up tomorrow morning or when you wake up tomorrow morning, we're going to first off say, hey, God, thanks for giving me a new day. Hey, God, uh, what do you got for me today? Hey, I'm going to listen. I'm going to read your word and maybe you'll tell me something there. I'm going to listen directly. Maybe you can speak to me audibly. That'd be cool. But if you don't, please speak in my spirit. Please speak in my mind. So that I can know what you want me to do. And the circumstance might come up. I'm ready, God. And just, I'm going to keep talking to you so you can tell me. I mean, tomorrow, what if you, what if tomorrow you're at work and and you go, God, is this the circumstance? I mean, it's really easy to pray without ceasing if you remember this. God's always with us. It's not like he's not here when we're not talking to him. You know, we, I, used to, uh, I have a nephew that when he was like four years old, when they would take pictures, family pictures, he would close his eyes because he thought if his eyes was closed, nobody could see him. And so he thought he wouldn't be in the picture if he closed his eyes. And I think a lot of people are like that with God. You know, we think if we close our eyes, God will go away. He won't. He's always with us. And so we might as well talk to him. And when we screw up, we say, hey, God, I sinned and I need your forgiveness. And we do something good. We say, hey, God, thank you so much for giving me the ability to do that good thing. Because I couldn't have done that without you. If we expect God to do great things, he does. If we don't expect God to do great things, he still will. We just don't get to experience it. If we expect God to do great things, today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day, what happens is his great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations becomes a reality. If we don't expect God to do great things, then, you know, we just, we just get to be us foreign no more. That's never happening in here. 
as long as I'm the lead pastor and as long as you have the staff you have. And I think as long as we have the people we have here. Because you all are, are already infected <laughs> with the new life. And once you get that disease, you just can't help but spread it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. And I thank you that right now you're listening. And I thank you that you're also speaking. And I pray that we'll have ears to hear this week. God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to go out praying expectantly and living wisely. And I pray that you'd fill us right now with your Holy Spirit and that you would fill us daily this week. That we can bring you glory and honor and that there will be more people who are part of your kingdom today, tomorrow, the next day than there were before. Because we take you seriously. And because we know that when we pray without ceasing, when we never stop praying, you always keep acting. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.